It's 5 o'clock in pirate country, and it's time to get pumped up with the P-Man. Hit the door and hit the road. 94.3 The Game is going to get you home, and the P-Man's not holding back. Yes! Yes! Pirates win! Pirates win! Bring on the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. Holy mackerel! The flagship station of the ECU Pirates. Okay, uh, hello again, everybody, and uh, thanks for being with us. Patrick Johnson with you. Uh, nice to have you along. And uh, we are uh, up and running. PJ Show here today on uh, this uh, Tuesday, 13th day of February. Pilk, you are a uh, an eligible bachelor. Maybe an ineligible bachelor, I don't know. But you're an eligible bachelor, so you don't have to uh, concern yourself with uh, this Valentine's nonsense. No, I don't. I will be sitting at home Good watching Daytona 500 qualifying. <laughs> Tomorrow? Oh, we need, to, uh, we need to check in with Shook, I guess. We need to make that plan for Friday. I haven't even thought about that, but I saw Shook last night at the uh, coaches' show. Yeah, is he going down this year? About that. Oh yeah, he goes down every year. So the inimitable Scott Shook, former chair of the board of trustees of ECU, now a uh, trustee member, uh, always goes down to. It's amazing that he's able to retain all these uh, fancy titles after he appears with us talking from Daytona because it's interesting. Well, we'll get we'll get Shooky on Friday. Figure out what's going on in Daytona. Maybe Thursday. Hell, I don't know. You say qualifying starts tomorrow? Qualifying's tomorrow. Duels are Thursday. I know in the past we've had him on Thursday because he'll kind of come on right before he heads over to the duels, which start at 7. But with us having basketball, don't know how that works out. But he could join our pre-baseball, pre-game baseball show on Friday as well. Yeah, that's right. We got our pre-game baseball show on Friday at 3. Note that, that we will be on from 3 until 3.40ish, leading you into baseball Friday. Um, and we've got, uh, I'm going to be at the arena, try to do the show from the arena. Now it may not sound the greatest, but we're going to do the show from the arena. It looks like on Friday attempt that, or at least maybe be on part of the show and then you carry out the rest. How do you feel about that Pilk? Sounds good. Programming meeting here in the monologue segment. I'm sure it's enthralling. But, you know, I think sometimes people like to know what's going on behind the curtain. Yeah, I think it's fun I'm when always- you do a show remotely like that. A little from the arena, right before the game. Gives you right. more that it's more than just a, a normal Friday, a Thursday show, that it's a full-on, you know, um, pregame right. show. Because I am uh, going to be, because the arena is noisy, they have a DJ. Uh, and there's Muzak going on. I may be in the press room or in somewhere close to the press room. Perhaps from the bowels of Minji's. I will broadcast uh, Thursday. That's the plan right now, though. we got to get through the next day or two and then figure all, all of that out. Uh, it's nice to have you with us here. We've got Jerry Palm with us uh, today. Jerry Palm is the bracketologist for CBS. Um I noticed that the Big Ten DeCourcy now does it for the Big Ten Network. He's the he's their bracketologist, and of course Joe Lenardi, uh, famously for ESPN. Palm is uh, always interesting in his uh, takes, and uh, we'll get Jerry on to handicap what may or may not happen with Memphis out of the American. Right now, it looks like the AAC would get two, according to all of the uh, prognosticators. Um, 
but could that change? And how many will the ACC get? So there's a lot to talk about with uh, JP, Jerry Palm from CBS Sports, uh, coming up in uh, a little bit. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Pirate softball today uh, with us on the radio. It is an ongoing uh, contest right now. And uh, it has been a uh, a really good start for ECU softball. Six and zero, they've scored fifty four runs and averaged twelve hits a game, and have a, 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 a is it a fourth? Yeah, it's a fourth of the home runs that they had all of last year total already, and that's the way Shane Winkler wants to play. So uh, it'll be the Pirates putting their six game start of perfection on the line uh, this afternoon at uh, the at the uh, Joiner Family Stadium against a North Dakota State Bison team who uh, comes in having won three in a row. They're on a magical mystery tour of North Carolina. So uh, join us on the ESPN Plus broadcast, uh, which, again, is ongoing right now through the magic of radio. We're here with you on 94.3 The Game uh, this afternoon. Okay, um, so that's coming up. Looking forward to that. Congratulations to Emma Jackson, the first Pirate player since 21 to be named Player of the Week in the AAC after her hot start. Jordan Hatch getting an honorable mention. Honorable mention for Brandon Johnson. 30 points. I think one of the women's basketball players got an, uh, an honorable mention. I believe. I believe that was the case. Pilk may fill you in on that later. But Brandon Johnson to score 30. I, I think his Player of the Week status was, uh, I don't know if you say, well, let's say compromised because they only played one game. But I don't think Brandon would have had that game if, had the Pirates had a midweek game. Because that was a tired basketball team, man, and I think they were just happy to have a chance to, you know, before the real push and grind of February, catch their breath collectively, start feeling a little bit better, work on some things offensively, and that's kind of where they, uh, kind of where they are. Uh, we'll hear a little more from Coach Swartz coming up in our Pirate Report. Also, Cliff Godwin, some of the highlights from yesterday, stuff you all will want to hear. Uh, and uh, that's coming up. We'll do a pirate report next segment. Uh, Pilk, any fallout from the Super Bowl? Uh, it was the most watched television event. Uh, someone said this morning on Talk of the Town since the moon landing. What I read last night, and now this may have been, you know, I might not have read the fine print, but uh, they, they, what I read, CBS was claiming it was the most watched television event ever. Now, it takes in the factor of the streaming. But it was uh, north of 124 million, and it was estimated that 200 million people watched all or a part of the Super Bowl. You know, they flipped by. I watched it on the Paramount app, and it had it was fraught with a little peril because it would pause on occasion, and on three different occasions we'd get the circle of death, and then we'd get kicked off and had to have to go back on. But what do you think of that number, Pilk? I, I see, I. Big Hen asked this morning, did it, was that the Swifty effect? I don't know if that was the Taylor Swift effect because they had 115 million watch it last year, but it was up 10%. If so, she doesn't need to be endorsing political candidates because God, that's scary. <laughs> On a that's lot of true. levels. Especially with who but, she endorses. Uh, but I mean, what do you think? Is that, is that, uh, is that the Swift effect why it had more? Or do you just think, here's what I think. America loves 
and hates a dynasty, right? We hate, we, we love a dynasty or we hate a dynasty. I think the Chiefs are a likable dynasty. Andy, uh, Travis Kelsey notwithstanding. I think, uh, that Andy Reid is seen as jolly or jovial. You know, kind of like your chubby uncle or granddad who, you know, has the Wilfred Brimley mustache and all that. And I think people like Mahomes. And I can't help but like Mahomes. I don't want to like Mahomes, but I like Patrick Mahomes. How can you not? He's great and he seems like a great person. His wife and his brother, eh. They're, they're seeking clout on the socials, but, um, I think he's, I think he's a good person. You know, his dad had that unfortunate incident last week, but you can't, you can't blame the ills of the family and the spouse on this guy. He's just trying to play ball and win championships, and that's what he's doing. So what do you think it was, Philip the Ref Pilkington? Do you think it was, we're going to see you on the camera for the video audience, by the way. Do you think it was Swift? Oh, there we go. Do you think it was Swifty? The effect, it was the Swift effect, or do you think people maybe are intrigued by the dynasty and, for better or for worse, San Francisco, the 49ers are a household name? You're going to hate me for saying this. I do think it's the Swifty effect. I agree with everything you're saying about America loving and hating a dynasty, but those are sports fans that love and hate a dynasty. Sports fans will always tune in to the Super Bowl. Even casual sports fans always tune in to the Super Bowl. There's a baseline of us that exists, which is shockingly only about a third of the country. The population is almost 400 million. That 120 million number is only a third of the country, which is weird because way more than a third of the people that I know watch the Super Bowl. I find it very right. low. It's shockingly low. I mean, don't get me wrong. These are great TV numbers, but it's this is how it is every year. I would think it would be like 80% of people be watching Super Bowl. So what the heck else are you doing on a Sunday night? Come on. It's Super Bowl Sunday, you wackos that live in New York and L.A. What are you doing? Quit walking down the streets where you might get mugged. Watch the darn Super Bowl. But an extra six to eight million, man, these are the little girls that weren't going to watch it. These are the single moms that weren't going to watch it. These are the college girls who normally would be studying... um, on a Sunday night for their Monday morning test, who are the college girls that don't attend very many sporting events at their university that were all of a sudden watching it. I think that's where that extra six to eight million came from. You know, I always wonder, Pilk, like you, if you're not watching the Super Bowl, now they said 200,000 watched a piece of it. 200 million, excuse me, watched a piece of it. I just wonder, what are you watching? On Sunday night, on Sunday nights when there's nothing, nobody counter programs this thing anymore. So what are the, what are you watching? Or at least they don't actively counter program. Yeah, this isn't 1977 uh, when In Living Colors doing a, uh, brand new episode right. during the halftime show. Right. I mean, there's, there's some of that where they do, I mean, WWF at the time did some wrestling during halftime. Um, you know, there was, uh, as you said, I think the Puppy Bowl at one point kind of originated as a halftime, or at least presented a halftime option. And uh, I also think, uh, as you say, uh, in Living Color back in the 90s, infamously did a uh, – uh, but, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about there was a time where they actively, networks actively counter-programmed against this. I think now they just throw up rehash shows. I mean, you can't you can't program against it. But, I mean, like you say, there's – Two-thirds of the country, possibly, that aren't watching. I just wonder what people are watching if they're not watching the Super Bowl. 
Seems it seems like such a. I mean, I I, I heard something uh, a, a young lady last night talked about watching the Super. Now she said I paid attention to the game more than I ever have. I don't know if she talked about the Swifty thing or not, but she, you know, she talked about the food. That was the big thing she was talking about was the the food. It sounded like great food they had at their party. I hope I get invited at some point. But um, it, it it's just to you know that that's a case of not a sports fan, but was watching the Super Bowl. And I mean, there's, I don't, it just, maybe I'm, maybe we're just too much in the world of sports, Bill. I don't know. See, but my thing is every year that I've gone to a Super Bowl party, there's been a few people in there. Mount, that, mind you, the yeah, city on the rise. Yeah. The, so there are people there that don't really watch, watch the game, but they're there for the camaraderie and the food and the people. Right. And the they might tune and in and only watch six or eight plays. But I still think those people are included in this number. Now, those people may not be included in this number, and that may be where I'm, you know, off on this. Right. But Americans love to party and we love to eat. So even if you don't give a hoot about football or sports in general, just go to a Super Bowl party and have a good time. It's an excuse to hang out and drink on a Sunday night. What are you doing? And I know I sound like somebody that went to ECU saying, hey, you're drinking on a Sunday night. This is a good thing. I probably shouldn't be saying this on the radio, but hey, you can't blame me. I went to ECU, okay? That's how we do uh, things. All right. Uh, so the big story, the big controversy out of this uh Travis Kelsey pushing uh, chubby old Andy Reid, going up and getting in the old man's face. And, look, I I have covered sports for 30 years. I I understand things are heated. It's the competitive side of things. But it just was a bad look. I think Kelsey's not a good dude and a bit of a meathead. Um, But I'm not naive to the fact that you have heated emotions during uh, games from coaches or from uh, players. So they discussed this yesterday, and I also get, you know, there are people who are saying, oh, this is sports, this is sports. Players yell at coaches all the time. Yeah, they do. And obviously coaches yell at players. This is uh, Andy Reid's response to the Kelsey deal. Hit it. He caught me off balance. I wasn't watching. Cheap shot, but that's all right. He did good. Um, he was really coming over. Just, just put me in. I'll score. I'll score. You know, so that's really what it was. Well, I love that. I mean, it's not the first time, so I, listen, I appreciate it. Andy Reid uh, with uh, kind of a blow-it-off response. Here's what Kelsey had to say, uh, what he said to Reid and how it all went down. Oh, y'all got, saw, you guys saw that? What was the conversation <laughs> well, about? Was it, there were a few cameras. I mean, was it, hey, I need the ball, I can help us win? What was that about? Uh, man, it was. Uh, I'm going I'm to keep it between us unless my mic up tells the world, but uh, I was just telling them how much I love them. <laughs> so that's Kelsey trying to be funny about the, the whole thing. And look, I, I do get, I mean, we're not naive to the fact that people... Or emo- I mean, players, you know, press back at coaches. I mean, it's Cliff Godwin was talking about that uh, yesterday with uh, Cam Clonch, you know. And, I mean, that just uh, it's the heat of the moment. I get it. You're talking alpha performers, male or female, in this uh, that are highly, highly invested in what they're doing and the emotions run high. I yell at Pilk all the time. He yells at me all the time, actually. I'm like the chubby Andy Reid, and Pilk's just yelling at me all the time. Hey, I got the By beard, the way, but I don't think I'm quite as bad as Travis Kelsey. Come on now. I haven't shoved you I've, yet, uh, P-Man. I stayed in the uh, weight range of loss with uh, East Carolina weight loss. and a lot of people have signed up. We appreciate it. Uh, tell you more about that. Lost some inches. So we'll come back. We'll do a pirate report, and then we'll do that hit. Uh, and then uh, Jerry Palm will join us on the PJ Show. 
And now, Patrick Johnson with today's Pirate Report on the flagship station of the ECU Pirates, 94.3 The Game. All righty, let's uh, jump in. Mike Swartz uh, last night on Inside Pirate Athletics at Tiebreakers on the ECU Sports Radio Network told Stephen Igo from Hoist the Colors and myself he liked how the team executed at UTSA. And that was a huge emphasis throughout the week. And, you know, two of the guys that will be here tonight, and Brandon Johnson and Cam Hayes, were a huge piece of that. And obviously Brandon with the career night. But I thought the guys really executed what we were trying to do. They shot the ball with confidence, as they should all the time. They knew where the shots were coming from. And then you talk about, here's the one funny thing about assists. You can't have assists and let the ball go through the basket. Right. And so it doesn't matter how great the pass is or what happens, the ball must go through the hoop for there to be an assist. And obviously the ball going through the basket allowed us to have 21 assists on 33 field goals. Yep, absolutely. And uh, Coach Schwartz said the bye week came at the right time. My week uh, came at the right time for us. Uh, it had been a stretch where we had, I believe, two different six-day, three-game stretches. And so to have the bye week come when it did uh, was beneficial for us for a number of reasons, preparation, other things that we did, particularly on offense. And then for our guys, just being able to recharge physically, mentally, get back in the gym and have some time before we had that road trip to San Antonio. All right, and uh, more from Coach Swartz on uh, other teams having bye weeks heading into games with ECU. I asked him about that last night. We've had a, two different times where the team was basically had a chance. I yeah, think South and, Florida. Yeah, and mm-hmm. you know, you know, that's just the way it goes. And what you know, you, you, there's nothing you could do about the schedule. And so we caught it on this end, and we'll get another bye week. Uh, we just didn't happen not to have one in the first uh, half of conference play. But it does, and especially when you start getting later in the month of January and February, it matters because these, I mean, between travel and games, and we've talked about it here many times, if they say to play Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we're going to gladly do it and be excited about doing it. But when you do get that time, not only is it good, but then you have to use it effectively. I think it actually was SMU, uh, Charlotte and SMU not uh, South Florida. All right, uh, big difference in basketball and uh, football as far as the conferences go. Here's Coach Swartz with the compare and contrast. North Texas, 30-plus wins last year. FAU, Final Four last year. UAB, NIT finalists last year. Charlotte, 20-plus win team, CBI champions, had their brought their whole team back. Mm-hmm. So in basketball, sometimes the disparity of conferences – they are on two different levels, basketball and football. We're also uh, hearing from Coach on uh, his thoughts on the evolution of Caleb LeCount in his sophomore season. He has not played as many minutes as some other guys, but he has played. He's contributed very positively in the games that he does play, and he's still only a sophomore. I think sometimes in today's college basketball world, when you keep seeing the words RSR, redshirt senior, GR, graduate player, you know, RSJR, redshirt junior. You see all these things. Caleb is a true SO, a true sophomore. And, I mean, he's basically got under 45 games in his career under his belt. And uh, last one from Coach Swartz here. Uh, Stephen Ice asked him about having three road wins in league play so far. Obviously, winning on the road is something that is really difficult. And you know what? I know you say it's big for EC. It's big for any program. Winning on the road, non-conference is big, particularly conference games. Any conference win is so huge. And when you can win on the road in conference, it's just a big deal. So 
that's a plus that we've done that. I think what it makes me feel like is I know we can be locked in. I know we can get it done. We got to be able to handle business with at home also. And I know there's some day hey, look opponents and the way games goes. We keep thinking about that North Texas game and we think about some of the teams that we've played at home. But still, the point is, is that you just want to be consistent. So I don't want to say it's just another game because road wins are very hard to come by. But it just makes us feel like if we can get the consistency to the point that we can really have a great home court also. All right. Uh, let's turn our attention to Pirate Baseball, which opens the season on Friday. Uh, that uh, will be heard on 94.3 The Game. And uh, it'll be a 3.45 airtime. We'll have a special PJ show from 3 until uh, right around the time we go into the pregame. So looking forward to that. Uh, probably going to have Mike Mullis on with us that uh, day. Anyway, uh, let's uh, hear from Cliff Godwin. He told uh, Steve and I go and myself yesterday on this program about uh, the starting rotation. Made that announcement. Yeah, Trey wasn't uh, held back. Uh, Root did not throw the first weekend we could scrimmage, just had some arm soreness, so his pitch count was a little bit less than Trey's. But uh, they both look good, um, just so I go can get this out of the way. Trey will go on Friday, Root will go on Saturday, and uh, Jake Hunter will go on Sunday. Um, I will say this, it was super competitive for that Sunday spot. All right, and uh, Coach Godwin on deciding uh, who the Sunday starter will be and what went into that. Jake pitched well, but Schink was outstanding. Jaden Winter was outstanding. Chris Kaler was really good as well. Uh, you know, those are the decisions that you have to make uh, for the collective unit. You know, you're always looking how it's going to affect the team. And obviously, Schink was a big piece of the bullpen last year. And Jake pitched out of the bullpen last year. And yeah. the unique thing about this staff is, <clears throat> for the long haul, there's a lot of guys that we have prepared to start. So, there's a lot of options when you talk about midweek games or even if somebody stumbles or has some arm soreness, there's guys that can slide into those roles, and uh, hopefully we don't miss a beat. Yeah, a lot of bullpen depth, and uh, Pirates uh, have some uh, front-line pitching that is uh, pretty darn good. Uh, we'll see if uh, Hunter can uh, rise to the occasion as the Sunday starter. Uh, all right, let's uh, hear from Coach Godwin on the uh, – Dixon William latest, and it looks like he's going to be uh, starting the season locking down things at the hot corner. Dixon will be our open day um, third baseman for sure. He's earned that. Um, he actually played full speed uh, this weekend for the first time with that quad um, that was nagging him, but he was full speed, so he looked good. That was uh, really exciting for the coaching staff for him to be able to go out there and run bases. Um, he'd been playing defense, but just not running bases. Um, Colby Wallace has played good. Nate Christman's played good. Nate, you could see him all over the field, but Colby's really, um, really upped his game, so to speak, defensively, and he's an option too, and has swung the bat pretty good. All right, that is uh, today's Pirate Report, and uh, we'll have ECU basketball coverage on Thursday beginning at 6.30 here on 94.3 The Game. Game will play uh, between the uh, Pirates and Wheat Shockers in Greenville at 7. 94.3 The Game, also 107.9 WNCT, and then baseball on Friday with a 4 o'clock first pitch for ECU baseball. We'll begin our coverage that day of uh, the season opener at 3 o'clock. All right, uh, let's uh, tell you a little bit about East Carolina weight loss. So I went for the weigh-in yesterday. I stayed uh, basically where I was, the 25-pound mark. 
uh, being down. And a lot of that, uh, I think had to do with the Super Bowl. And I may have indulged last week in, uh, in some sweets, uh, during the midweek. I was offered, uh, a favorite donut and I couldn't turn it down. So, uh, but anyway, we're still moving along. Half inch lost in the chest in the last week, an inch lost in the waist over six inches, maybe seven inches or more. Actually it might be closer to eight or nine inches now that I think about it in my waist, uh, in, uh, this seven week period gone. And my hips also lost a half inch from last week. So that's really a big thing. Uh, I, I, I talked to somebody last night at the show. They said, I'm going to get by there when I, my schedule allows. You know, I, they, I said, just go talk to them. They'll work something out with you. It'll, it'll be life changing for you and you'll feel a lot better. Uh, look, there's no secret, uh, to this. Uh, it's a natural way of doing this. There are no drugs. There are no injections. East Carolina weight loss, uh, you can lose a fat, a uh, pound of fat every day naturally, safely and effectively. Uh, there's no calorie counting. You don't have to exercise, no prepackaged meals, no drugs, no surgery, no injections, You're not counting points. You know, those injections have serious side effects, it appears. Visit EastCarolinaWeightLoss.com, schedule your free consultation, mention me, or call them. This phone number will get you in. And, again, mention me, Patrick Johnson. It's 252-496-3610. 252-496-3610 for East Carolina weight loss. Jerry Palm will join us. He's got uh, his bracketology out. He does it for CBS Sports. Of course, uh, CBS and uh, Turner air the uh, NCAA tournament. So Jerry will have uh, uh, the latest on that. And can Memphis uh, make it three for the American? We'll see. Uh, right now, a 94-3 the game, Sports Flash, and uh, Pirate Report from Philip the Ref Pilkington. Thanks, P-Man. Starting in Pirate Basketball, they will be back in action on Thursday when they host Wichita State. They will try and build off their big win down at UTSA where Brandon Johnson had 30 points. He was asked after the game on the radio broadcast if he can feel when it is going to be a great night shooting the basketball. No, not really because I've had a couple workouts in the morning where I've shot the ball really well and I came in the game and pooped it away. So <laughs> yeah. um, I'll say it's just fundamentals on it for me. Like, I have to just keep doing what got me here to make shots. That will get the weekend started in Pirate Athletics, and baseball will be back in action or start their action on Friday at 4 o'clock, which you can hear right here on 94.3 The Game. Coach Godwin announced that Jake Hunter would be the Sunday starter, and he said there was a lot of competition for that spot. It was super competitive for that Sunday spot. Um Shink definitely could have been in that Sunday spot, but we want him to stay in the bullpen just because he's so valuable. And Shink's such a team guy and uh, was very receptive to that. Uh, Jaden Winter pitched great as a starter in the preseason, as did Chris Kaler. So they will be in the bullpen as well. Last night, the Blue Devils improved to 10-3 and in league play with a 77-69 victory over Wake Forest. Demon Deacons still have not won in Cameron since 97. Mark Mitchell led the way with 23 points, but he was not the only Blue Devil that contributed in a big way as Kyle Filipowski had a double-double, and so did Jared McCain. Tonight, the Tar Heels will be in action. They had a hard-fought game down in Coral Gables and pulled it out over the weekend against the Miami Hurricanes. They will be hosting the Syracuse Orange Men tonight. The TV radio are out from the Super Bowl. It was record-setting with 123.4 million viewers making it the most-watched TV event 
ever, breaking last year's record of 115.1. The Carolina Hurricanes are on a two-game win streak and will try and build on that tonight as they travel to the Lone Star State to take on the Dallas Stars. Last night was a weird night in the NBA as the Hornets defeated the Pacers 111-102, to giving them their second straight victory, something they've only done one other time this season, which happened back in mid-November. They are now 2-0 and since the trade deadline when they acquired Grant Williams and Seth Curry. The San Antonio Spurs' Victor Wanyama recorded a triple-double with 27 points, 14 rebounds, and 10 blocks in their victory over the Rockets. He is only the 26th player in NBA history to have a triple-double with one of those statistics being rejections. That'll do it for your 94.3 The Game Sports Flash Update and Pirate Report. On the other side of this timeout, we will talk bracketology as March is just one month away with Jerry Palm. We are. We are. Riding shotgun with you on the drive home. It's go time. This is the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. Okay, uh, welcome back. Nice to have you uh, along here. Uh, we've got uh, March Madness starting in uh, full throat. Uh, well, the conference tournaments will be starting about a month from now, and then everything sort of kicks off. We'll be in the midst of it all. Uh, and, uh, obviously the, uh, the big industry, the cottage industry this time of year is the, uh, projections, bracketology, if you will. Uh, we have with us on the phone a guy we've had on the program multiple times before. Always enjoy catching up with, uh, CBS Sports, Jerry Palm, who joins us, uh, this morning from Parts Unknown. Uh, Jerry, how are you, my friend? I'm alright, how are you? I'm doing well, uh, doing great. So obviously, uh, you know, I cover and we cover here on the station ECU extensively, East Carolina. Uh, I do their basketball and other sports on uh, TV for plus. So, uh, you know, that's kind of our interest here. But I'm interested in the American because as I often say, you know, what happens with, uh, the New Year's Six Bowl and the, and, uh, any NCAA units you can get in the tournament, uh, what's good for the American in a way is good for East Carolina. So, uh, uh, that, that's kind of where my interest always lies from this. It's not the, uh, tribalism SEC, SEC type of stuff. But, uh, right. you know, I'm just kind of wondering, uh, Jerry, you know, uh, so far two in on the American. Memphis had as impressive a resume pre-conference as anybody. I know we got a month left to play basketball, but, uh, right now in your bracketology out yesterday at CBSSports.com, there's just, uh, two in from the American. So, uh, who are the two? And uh, how do you see that playing out? And then we can maybe get into the Memphis prospects. Yeah, so the the two are, well, first of all, Florida Atlantic, which is a seven seed. Um, and it's been around that part of the bracket now for a while. Um, and uh, then um, the other one is South Florida, who is in as the automatic qualifier. I use the team with the fewest conference losses and break ties with the net. That, that way I can automate right. automatic qualifiers. But I don't need to break a tie because South Florida is in first place by themselves. They would not be an at-large team. Uh, so in a sense, they're kind of like a mid-season bid stealer kind of a thing. So uh, right. they're in the bracket right. in place of of a what you know would be another at-large team, but not Memphis. Um, Memphis is not quite uh, at the point where they're ready to get jump into the bracket yet. But uh, man, they had a rough go. Whew. Yeah, they did have a tough stretch, especially when they added uh, those midseason transfers. But just to hear what you're saying correctly, uh, Jerry, 
in the case of South Florida, who I've seen and, and I think is a really good team, uh, they have some nice parts, and Abdur Rahim's done a heck of a job coming from Kennesaw State. Mm-hmm. And in the case of Charlotte, who is uh, exceeding preseason expectations, uh, they would both have to win the tournament to get into the big dance. It looks that way, yeah. I don't know, you know what they've got left in their regular season that could help them resume build to the point where they could possibly compete for an at-large. It would really be hard for Charlotte with you know, eight losses and three quad threes, and um, I don't know how they could do it. South Florida might be in a little better shape, but they have a couple of quad fours. So I, it's going to really be hard for either of those teams to make the NCAA tournament any other way. Jerry Palm, CBS Sports, uh, does their bracketology uh, and uh, also does the bowl projections. We have him on from time to time with that as well. He joins us here on the Patrick Johnson Show. Let me ask you a little bit about, uh, you know, I think there's still some confusion with fans about quad three, quad four, and, and how a loss impacts you and how it could not hurt you in some instances and a win. So could you maybe outlay that methodology and, and how that's factored into all this? Yeah, so the net uh, is the NCAA uh, ranking uh, tool they use to rank teams, and its only purpose is to put teams in quadrants on your team sheet. So the better teams you play, and it's based on the ranking and where the game is played, so you're, essentially your tougher games are considered quad one and then quad two, quad three, quad four. So they've, they've got it divided. They're not exactly evenly divided, but quad four is like the bottom oh, third or so. Uh, maybe even more of um, college basketball. But uh, so, for example, Memphis has a win at Texas A&M. Uh, that's a quad one win. Uh, they've got a home win over SMU, who's in about the same spot in the rankings, but because that win is at home, that's considered quad two. Um, so it's it's a way for the committee to get kind of a at-a-glance look at the kinds of you know, games that you've won and the games that you've played, your strength of schedule. Uh, but they also have rankings for strength of schedule. Uh, and the committee, when they're pouring over these team sheets, they go into great detail because it's important. You know, not every quad one win is the same. Every once in a while, you'll see a quad two game that's a better win in the mind of the committee than a quad one game because the quad two team might be someone they're considering for the tournament, but the quad one team is not. So uh, it's it's a uh, it's a result oriented process. Strength of schedule, how you did against that schedule, um, margin of victory is not really important, uh, even though it is a very huge factor in some of the metrics, including the net. Um, it doesn't really mean much in terms of what's going on when they're selecting and feeding teams. The great Jerry Palm with us from uh, CBS. Is the eye test really used anymore? In, in, I mean, obviously, I, I think it is. It's a subjective process guided by yeah. objective data. They watch. Okay. The, the, everybody on the committee watches these teams. Uh, every committee member has specific responsibility for three conferences, the um, primary responsibility for three conferences, where they are the primary contact to those leagues and those teams um, for information, but also you know for that committee member to observe uh, teams that they might be considering in person as much as they can. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think if all you have is eye test, you probably don't have anything. Um, yeah, so, or it's going to show up in uh, some of the, you know, the metrics or, and the, the, the parts of the data, um, that are important. If, if, 
if you really are a good team by the eye test, then it's going to show up in other places. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Do, does do you think um, do you like the net? You know, we used to use RPI. Uh, it's do you more like sophisticated this? Than the RPI. Okay. I like the net yeah. for how it's being used. I would not want okay. the net to make decisions. Um, but if you're Got just you. going to use the net to put teams in buckets, yeah, I think that that's perfectly good. When you, Jerry, are kind of doing your bracketology with your method, methodology, it, it seems like it's based a lot on, on net and the numbers, but how much do you kind of take into account, all right, I think this is a really good team, and for whatever reason the metrics aren't there right now, but I might put them in or at least you know have them on the bubble where maybe in reality the committee may not right now. You know, It seems a little convoluted, but, but I think you get it where is. I'm coming from. Yeah, so first of all, the committee hasn't met to debate the value of teams yet. Um, they will get together this weekend to do a mock, and then they will present their top 16 on CBS uh, Saturday uh, in, the, in the pregame show, which I want to say is noon Eastern, um, but it might be 11. Anyways, uh, they'll do their bracket reveal, as they've done for about the last you know five or six years. They'll show their current top 16. That's the first time they're meeting to talk about teams at all this year. So right now, each committee member might be forming their own opinion, but they haven't got together to collectively discuss it yet. I try to mimic – I try to predict what the committee is going to do. So my own impressions I kind of set aside. Um, But I so I I look at a lot of the data. I watch the teams play as many as I can as one guy, not ten. But it's (laughs) – Um, I'm trying to guess what they're trying to do, so I try to mimic their process as best I can. Yeah. Um, We're talking to Jerry Palm, CBS Sports. He does a great job with his bracketology. Let let me ask you, uh, back to Memphis, uh, do they have the opportunity to to make some hay of the the first four out? They have the, uh, I guess, highest net would be the way to put it at 75, where you got the Zags and the Bearcats of Cincinnati and and New Mexico all inside the top 35 a couple of uh, top 25 nets for the Zags in, in New Mexico. So right. does Memphis have enough of a resume and then I guess enough opportunities to, to maybe make, I know they got to play Florida Atlantic still twice. Do they have enough there yep. to, to, to maybe, you know, get a little closer to being, you know, in or right on the bubble kind of legitimately? Yeah, they are. Well, first of all, don't get too wrapped up in the metrics because like I said before, they don't make decisions. The Ken Palm, the net, are so heavily based on margin of victory, and the process is not. So, you know, Memphis does not win by a lot. Generally speaking, their average margin of victory ranks probably about where they are in the net, you know, give or take. Um, And Gonzaga's is much higher, their average margin of victory. But Gonzaga just got their first quad one win of the season uh, this past weekend at Kentucky. So, you know, it's... Whereas Memphis already has three. They've already beaten, you know, Clemson and Virginia. They won at A&M. I mean, so they've got some good wins. The problem is they had that four-game losing streak. All to teams who were losing to them has really damaged their resume. Um, and it didn't actually damage their net that much. It just damaged their resume. But they um, they have the opportunities. You mentioned the Florida Atlanta games at SMU. Uh, could be a quad one game. Uh, at North Texas could be a quad one game. Those are not teams that are likely to go to the tournament, so they don't carry as much weight right. as Florida Atlantic um, or Texas A&M. But, you know, those are road games, and 
And uh, But Memphis's margin for error is almost gone in terms of trying to make the tournament. They need to continue to win. There probably aren't very many games left they can afford to lose and still make the tournament with the possible exception of the one at the end at Florida Atlantic. Uh, Jerry Palm joining us uh, here from CBS. Let me uh, ask you about the ACC right now. you got four in. Uh, obviously, Virginia, I think, has the opportunity to move up. Uh, does, are you, are you, where you have Clemson as a four seed, that seems like they're pretty solidly in. Oh, yeah, Clemson's definitely in. Um, I don't know what – I mean, they would have to completely fall apart to, to be in right. danger of missing the tournament. Yeah, this league has been, um, you know, Carolina, Duke, and Clemson and nobody else for quite some time, and Virginia's gotten hot. The win at Clemson for Virginia is – was the impetus for getting them into the bracket, but it's been just this muddle behind those three teams for most of this season until Virginia started to make a move. But, you know, it's hard to resume build in the ACC because if you don't beat Carolina, Duke, or Clemson, you're not helping yourself enough to separate from the pack. And, and right. the pack, you know, for every good thing they do, they do something bad. Wake had an opportunity last night to get a big win, but you're, you're asking to, to win a Duke. Not easy. But they'll get Duke at home, too, uh, coming up. So there's more chances for Wake Forest. They're probably the team in the next best shape to make a run, but they haven't really shown gotcha. yet that they've got it in them. But NC State does not, in, in your opinion, right now. Uh, I, I haven't even looked at NC State this year. They haven't been on my radar yet. <laughs> Sorry. Enough said. Enough said, as they say. Uh, so you got UNCW in. They, I think they're really good. Uh, you're projecting them right now to play Duke. App State is talking about teams from our state. High Point, which yeah. is a fun, fun team to watch. Uh, they play offense like you probably should. Uh, you got yeah. Carolina as a two seed in Charlotte, uh, there. So, uh, North Carolina as a whole pretty well represented. How much, uh, I understand this is a snapshot and, and before we let you go, uh, how much volatility do you think is just general in this year's tournament along the bubble or in the top seeds? You know, Arizona's emerged now as a, a top seed in, in all of the, uh, Kind of you combine all the brackets, yeah. So for today, so is, is there a lot of volatility in that in your mind? Uh, yeah, usually it's the closer you get to the middle to the bottom of the bracket. There's the, the more the teams are the same that are, you know in a given group. Uh, so you get more volatility in that part of the bracket where a, a really big win could could give you a, a little more juice than if you're say a two seed where you've already got a bunch of good wins because that's why you're there. Um, and then you get another good win. It may not have as much impact uh, as it would if you're sitting there as, as like an eight nine seed, or you're on the bubble and you're trying to get in. You know that's that's where you know the big wins can really have a greater impact. Um, but yeah, it's I would say it's typical in that way. I I I you know the comment about Arizona is I've had like three straight brackets or four straight brackets with different teams in the fourth spot on the top line. It's just like nobody wants that job right now. Um, but Carolina's <laughs> been up there. Tennessee was there the other day. And, and now with Arizona's turn, and I probably jinxed them again. <laughs> we'll see, right? Uh, hey, uh, and, and, and quick word here. Houston, um, you know, there was everybody saying, well, when they go to the Big 12, and, I mean, just what Kelvin Sampson's built there is is remarkable. Yeah. Yeah, they're terrific. Um, one of the great defensive teams, unless they're playing Kansas at Kansas, apparently, because – they shot almost 70% against Houston. That's, <laughs> that's the most remarkable thing about that. It's, I mean, 
shooting 70% is remarkable on its own. Doing it against Houston, an elite defense, was really just remarkable. But, um, yeah, Houston, you know, they're, they they were a team that a lot of people thought had a shot at the Final Four last year. They were a number one seed, so why not? Um, you know, all the number one seeds got knocked off, so they didn't make it either. But, uh, you know, they're always equipped. The way they defend, they're in every game. Uh, they always have a chance. Um you know they're uh, and they're they're showing that the big moving to the Big Twelve has not changed uh, the, the elite level of that program because it, it's just yeah. giving them another chance to demonstrate it more often. And BYU's had a fabulous season too, uh, and I think maybe a possibility to move up in the seating. We'll see. Hey uh, Jerry, when will you uh, give everybody the social, give everybody the, the exact website to go to to get bracketology, and when will we see you on TV here? Yeah, the Bracketology page on CBS Sports is where you find my brackets twice a week, Monday and Friday. Uh, at this time of year, when we get later on, it'll, it'll be daily updates. Um, I will be on Saturday on the Bracket Reveal show. Uh, and okay. then usually the last week of so, and the, the weekend before Selection Sunday through Selection Sunday, I'm on uh, CBS or mostly CBS Sports Network, CBS HQ, the street, our streaming mm-hmm. service. Uh, I'm in front of a camera uh, so often that it surprises me when I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> and you got to wear a suit on Saturday, right? You got to get a you got to yeah, put the uh, suit yeah, on. Yeah, so. got to bring the got to bring the nice clothes to New York. Yep. Have you picked out the tie and suit combo yet? Oh no, but I have a. I mean, I haven't thought about it yet. It's you know, I don't have to pack oh, okay. until Thursday. So, and I'm a guy. I understand. So really get <laughs> no, I, I get it. I get it. I'm just saying. You know, I, I kind of. <laughs> Have to think ahead if I have to do TV. Okay, what do I need to wear here? And I mean, but yeah, I ultimately. I, I'm a boilermaker. I may go with black. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, you look. You can never go wrong in, in black. That's that's certainly. It. Uh, yeah, you are. I know we keep holding you here, but uh, real quick, okay. I mean, Purdue, fantastic. And oh, uh, you know, I yeah. I mean, are are they are they in your mind the the front runner at this moment to win the whole thing? They're a front runner. Um, you know that they are certainly the overall number one seed. Um, Connecticut's number one in the polls, but Purdue has a better resume, and it's notably notably better. Um, this, this is an example. They both played Gonzaga on a neutral site. Gonzaga is Connecticut's second best win. It's Purdue's seventh best win. Um, ah. So that, Purdue's had a tremendous season. Uh, they've played different kinds of teams and have beaten most all of them. Um, so, you know, but the tournament's a fickle thing, so we'll see what happens, but they're built for a long run, uh, but, you know, it's like I said, it's fickle, we'll see. And as a Purdue fan, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm expecting something stupid to happen because invariably something stupid happens. <laughs> well, and I'll say this, and I mean, you, you know this as well. And I think more so than ever before, this whole thing is, is, is about matchups. I mean, this whole thing, oh, yeah. this entire no deal question. is, is yeah. uh, with Purdue the way, co- with the portal and all that. Yep. Yep. But Purdue's advantage when it comes to matchups is seven foot four national player of the year. That <laughs> is a matchup nightmare for everybody. Hey, Jerry, thanks a lot. Great to talk to you, man. Really, for, we'll, we'll try right, to get thanks. you back Anytime. on if you'll do it in March. Yeah. Sure. Thank you, buddy. Yep. There he goes, Jerry uh, Palm, CBS Bracketology, does a fantastic job. All right, three-segment show today, Pilk. I like it. Good stuff. Uh, back tomorrow, Patrick Johnson's show, the midweek edition, the Valentine's edition. They're going to have a uh, press avail tomorrow with Coach Houston and the new assistants, so we'll have audio from that for you on the Patrick Johnson show. 
coming up on uh, Wednesday, our Sweetheart Edition. Thanks to Philip the Rest, Pilkington, and Jerry Palm, and we'll catch everybody tomorrow in the morning on Talk of the Town and on the PJ Show at 5 o'clock. We'll be right back.